Well, good morning. Uh, yeah, my name is Frank. I'm glad to be with you today. Actually, honored to be here. Uh, my wife and I, Stacy, have been coming to, uh, been part of the Copters family for about a year now. Uh, Brad and I are friends, so it's been great to have this opportunity to be with you. And, and by the way, really be thankful for the staff you have at Copper Hills. It's an amazing, yes, absolutely, right? Amazing staff of uh, ministers, volunteers. It's just fantastic, so we're really blessed. Um, a bit about me. Like I said, my name is Frank. Um, I've been married for 30-plus years to my wife, Stacy. Um, if you meet her, you'll probably say, dude, like, you married up. <laughs> and you'd be right. I hear it all the time. It's, it's okay. Um, we have three kids. They're all adults. They live here in the Valley, which is great. Uh, currently, um, I'm employed as an aerospace engineer. Um, specifically, uh, I help design systems for orbital spacecraft. So you could say that my job is out of this world. I also like dad jokes, by the way, if you're kind of wondering about that. But why am I here? Well, about five years into our marriage, uh, Stacy and I got baptized, and I really had this passion for the Bible, to really study and to know what was going on in scriptures. I had read them, but not really kind of dug into them. So we left our home, went to Tennessee, where I attended seminary. Um, after graduation, we moved back to Atlanta, um, I went to Emory University to get a master's of theology as well, kind of focusing on Old Testament more in particular, and then went to the University of Georgia to study historical linguistics, the languages of the Bible specifically, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, stuff like that. By the way, same UGA that won two national titles back-to-back. Just want to <laughs> point that out to you Sun Devil fans. Um, just saying. But here's the thing about it. What I learned in all those studies and all those years and all that homework was a simple truth. It is much easier to study the Bible than it is to live the Bible. And if you're here today, you know that. It's much easier to know what Jesus said than to do what Jesus said. However, the Bible itself, when we dig into it, it actually is there to help us. It's not an encyclopedia of God knowledge that you kind of sit on the shelf to when you need it. It's meant to let you know you're not alone in this journey. You're here together with God, with people who have gone before you, who have made the same journey you're making. And you can hear their stories and how they struggled and how they overcame. So we want to dig into the Bible because it's there to help us live the way God wants us to live. And I kind of want to do that together today because the Bible also helps us to see the world through a different lens, to see the world a little differently. And it's not much different than that sign that Brad's been talking about for the last two weeks. So the last two weeks, we've been in this series called No Perfect People with this sign out front. And in the first story Brad talked about was from John 8. And it was a story about a woman who was in this real mess, drug out, humiliated by people, um, an adulteress, again, humiliated before the entire temple precincts. But Jesus doesn't see her sin. He sees her. And he shows mercy and compassion on her. She's not perfect. He knows it. But he shows compassion. The second story was also from John. And it was a story about Jesus and his disciples and how they had abandoned him. And how does he react? He shows compassion. He restores the relationship. He makes the effort that they're not perfect, but that's okay. And he's going to restore the relationship. In fact, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus... The greatest miracle to me is not that he came back from the dead. That's, that's a big deal, by the way, but it's not that. The, 
miracle, miracle of the resurrection is he came back to people like us. He came back to us. And so we have these two stories of imperfect people. And that got me thinking, what about the back of the sign? Anybody know what the back of the sign says when you walk out of here? Because you think about it, right? We've experienced Jesus. We've sung about Jesus. We've prayed to Jesus. Now we're going to head back into the world. What signs on the back of that sign that says no perfect people allowed? Well, it got me thinking about signs. And I don't know if you know this, but the back of a sign can have a message, an unintended message. So years ago, years ago, before cell phones, uh, we were going to the Grand Canyon to have a supai. Anybody been here to have a supai? A few? Awesome place. It's beautiful. So we're going to have a supai. I got a 15-passenger van, trailer with all kinds of gear behind it. And we're going along. And because there's no cell phones, there's no social media, we're actually talking. <laughs> and talking can be distracting, right, when you're driving along. And so we're going along. My friend had just got this really cool thing made by Garmin. It was called a GPS receiver. Have you seen these things? <laughs> like a brick, like this big, and they had a little gray screen like an Atari. Remember those old Atari Pong games? Looks like that, right? There's little, little roads, a little flashing dot, that's you, and you kind of follow the road. So we're, we're good. So we're going along, we're talking, having a good time, and all of a sudden, I take a wrong turn. And I realize I'm taking a wrong turn, because Siri is not there going, turn in 500 feet. Turn in 499 feet. Turn in 498 feet. I'm like, I'm going to turn. But she's not there to tell me to turn, so I don't turn. So I keep going. And then I say the prayer that every guy prays when his wife is in the car with him and he makes a wrong turn. Lord, make this a shortcut. <laughs> but we're lost, right? We're, we're not doing well. But my friend's like, dude, we're good. We're on the line. We're, we're good. So I got GPS now, right? So we're going along. After a while, the sun's getting kind of low in the sky. The road gets thinner, the curbs go away, asphalt goes away, <laughs> there's just dirt, you know, like, people are getting really quiet in the back, like, what's going on, you know? And my friend is like, we're good, man, we're good, we're just still aligned, so we're still driving. I'm like, I'm going to make it, we're going we're to do this. And plus, you got a 15-passenger van with a trailer, where are you going to turn around? On a dirt road with the mountain on one side and a drop-off on the other. So we keep going. And then I hear from the back, my friends say... Uh-oh. Uh-oh? What do you mean, uh-oh? Like, and he shows me the, the GPS brick, and there's a dot flashing and a gray wasteland around it. There's no roads. It's just us. I'm like, oh, man, what are we going to do? But, you know, I'm like, we're pressing on. We're, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep moving forward. And then it happens. Hope. I look out the left side of the window, and there, kind of flashing in the sun as it sets, is the back of a sign. doesn't say anything. It's the back of a sign. But it brings hope for this reason. The back of the sign has what? A front to the sign. And the front of the sign means that someone else is coming that direction at some point, someday. So the road goes through. So we're like, we're good. So we keep on going. And lo and behold, we actually make it to the Grand Canyon by following the back of a sign. So the back of a sign can bring hope. It can mean something. Depends how you want to look at it, right? You don't usually look at it, but when you look at it the right way, it's a good thing. So what's on the back of the sign as you leave? What should we put back there? So I thought about it, okay? It says, no perfect people allowed. Well, you come here and meet Jesus, right? As you leave, 
How about this verse from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Have a great week, folks. <laughs> really? That's the verse you want to leave with? How about, try your best, good luck. <laughs> but this is what Jesus says, right? He says to us literally, be perfect. That's his goal. That's the level that we're supposed to live at, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Which, by the way, fits this message series. Because remember the first week when Brad talked about that woman who was caught in adultery and dragged for everyone else by these bunch of guys who were going to kind of trap Jesus and humiliate her, right? That story. Jesus says, yeah, she's not perfect. But guess what, guys? Neither are you. And the stones stop, start dropping and they walk away. And then he says this to her out of John 8. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. She's like, got it. What would you say to Jesus if he said that to you? Go on, go to lunch, but don't sin again. Man, that's a kind of, that's like, are you sure you want to say that? Like, that's, that's like a hard thing. To, well, it kind of fits with this, right? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How do we live that? Especially when you and I both know, me especially, I'm going to come back next week and I'm going to need the front of the sign. Right? I'm going to come back. I'm going to need to see no perfect people allowed. I know that. So how do we live to Jesus' expectations? How do we go and sin no more? How do we be perfect as our Heavenly Father's perfect? Well, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 48, the next chapter, chapter 6, is not a bunch of rules. It's not a definition of how to be perfect. You know what he gives us? Help. He's going to teach us how we can get closer to God. So you want to be perfect and God's perfect? Get close to him. So he's going to give us help and instructions on how to be closer. He's going to deal with us, not a bunch of rules. So nine verses, just nine verses after Jesus says, be perfect, we get one of the most famous passages in the Bible. I guarantee you today's passage you've memorized. You've memorized right now. You can recite it right now from heart, from just from your memory, right now. But it's more than just a passage of the Bible or even a prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer, and this is it right here. You're familiar with this. In fact, let's just kind of read this together. Pray then this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. If you said trespasses, that's okay. We'll let it go. All right, here's the thing. You know this. You know this. You grew up with this. But it's so much more than a prayer. And here's why I can say that. Look at the very first part, verse 9. Jesus says to us, pray then this way. Does that mean just this prayer? Pray then this way. Pray like this. Just this. Well, Jesus prayed different prayers. The disciples prayed different prayers. We pray different prayers. What about this would make Jesus say, pray like that? Is it an outline? Is it topical? What, what about that is so important that he says to us, pray then this way? Well, let's dig into it a little bit. So one of the first things you'll notice about this prayer um, is that it's all plural, right? Our Father, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, right? 
Um, and we pray it that way because, left after all, we are in church. This is our, us, plural. But when you're alone, do you pray it like that? Or do you change it to be my Father in heaven? Or do you pray our Father in heaven? I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I keep it like this. And that's a great reminder. Sometimes when you pray, what we need is more important than what I need. So I kind of, in my prayer, when I pray in the plural, I bring my community, my family, with me. Our Father, forgive us. Right? And I, I kind of have this community in mind when I'm praying that I'm not alone. The second thing you'll see in this prayer, there are seven things we ask for. Seven petitions, seven things. Seven is a big number in the Bible. It means wholeness or completeness, even perfection. That's what number seven usually represents. So that's important, that this is not just a fluke, that there's seven things listed here. Okay, the last thing is it's poetic. Now, when I say poetic, I don't mean roses are red, violets are blue. The Cardinals will watch the game from home, just like you. (laughs) It's true, but... (laughs) So you have this, this, this is called a chiasm. Okay, it's poetic, but in ancient languages, it's usually meant to point out something, to highlight what's most important, where is this moving to. And so most poetry moves. It's got an emotion to it, and things kind of go together. So let's look at this one here. You see there's like the first and the last thing kind of go together. The second to second to last go together. So like, for example, let's go back, go back one slide for a second. The first and the last. Holy be your name, Evil. They're like super far apart, right? Like they're they're as far apart as you can get, holiness and evil. Sun devils, wildcats. Like as far apart, (laughs) put them wherever you want, don't care. But they're as far apart as you can get, right? The second set, your kingdom come, time of trial. These two use like motion verbs. Your kingdom come, don't bring us. So like, come, bring me a sandwich, sweetheart. You know, these two kind of, Motion verbs. The next set are, have two things in them. Your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. So those two got to go together. And then forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Those are, again, two things. And it all points to like a big arrow to the center. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, that's the center. That's what it's after. That's its kind of highlight. That's what a chiasm does, like an arrow to the center. Here's my question for you folks. Everything there is kind of spiritual. God's kingdom, trials, temptations, um, uh, God's will being done, forgiveness, all spiritual things. And then in the center, at the highlight, what do we get? Lunch. I mean, if this is the 11.30 service, I get it. But not at 10 o'clock in the morning, unless you're doing brunch later. Why would Jesus put in the center of this thing daily bread? It just doesn't kind of flow. Why is something so practical at the center of this story? So we'll come back to that in a minute. Let's kind of just run through the prayer and just take it one step at a time. Let's kind of briefly talk about it. In the first one, our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed, holy be your name. We start the prayer by looking up. We look at God and say, God, you are holy and you are just. We want that. We want to know what real truth is. We want to know what real righteousness is. You define those things. What is good? Our world is kind of chaotic right now. We want the stability of a holy God that you're in control, you're the creator, you're in charge. We look to you. Then that holiness, we say, God, we love that you're holy, but this world, 
kind of messed up. There's a lot of bad stuff going on, a lot of chaos and uncertainty and evil and just bad, bad stuff. So God, how about you not stay up there and bring your kingdom here? Now, when you've got bad things going on in your life, are you okay with God staying up there and just watching, going, oh, that, that's terrible. That's too bad for you. No, we want God to get involved. So your kingdom, come. Like, come here. We want that. And more specifically, we want your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We want that. In fact, we want to do that. It's like, so there's a movement, you see it? From heaven to God's kingdom coming here to us doing God's will here on earth as it is in heaven. That's its motion. So then we get lunch. I'm like, why? So let's, let's do this. When you were taking the SATs in high school, or the ACTs, I don't know what they do these days, when you got to a hard question, what did your teacher tell you to do? Skip it, right? Go on to something you know. So we're going to skip it, okay? <laughs> Just make it simple on you. We'll skip it. We'll kind of come back to it. I promise. All right, the next one. Now, these two should go together. Forgive us our debts. Who forgives us? God, who's above, right? And then we are then to forgive others, which are where are they located? Like next door, in your own household, right? So in a way, this prayer kind of crosses a boundary. It says, God, you forgive us, and we forgive those around us, which is kind of personal, right? I mean, this is getting like in my business personal. Like this prayer now is like how I live my life, like my relationships and who I see around me. It's a, kind of a big deal. And then it goes even deeper. Don't bring us to a time of trial or even testing. If you think about it, what defines you more? than your moral fortitude to resist and stand up to temptation. How do you handle those trials in your life? How do you handle times of testing? Do you have the fortitude to turn off the phone, close that website, not go see that thing you're not supposed to go see? That defines in a way who you are. It's inside of you. It's your intentions, your identity. So then, it, so this prayer again gets even closer inside of you. Then it goes even one step further. How many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? That's it, really? Dude, great movies, right? So um, where were the orcs made? Underground. Remember that? They're making those big pits underground. In fact, we think of hell as being the blank world, underworld, right? We think of evil as under and bottom and down. So this kind of prayer, like I said, moves from heaven to ourselves, to forgiveness, to our temptations, to under the earth kind of thing. It's a movement. So, that being said, let's go back to the, skip, the question we skipped. What do you do with lunch? So let's take a look at that real quick. Give us this day our daily bread. One of the biggest problems with this is the word daily. For two millennium, scholars have struggled over what this means. I know it sounds like overly simple. I know what daily means. But the Greek word here is only used twice in all of Greek literature. Not just the Bible, Homer, Hesiod, all of it, just twice. Here in Matthew, in the exact same phrase in Luke. So this word, this Greek word, epiusion is a Greek word. Don't know what it means. It could mean keto. <laughs> it could mean low carb. <laughs> you know, it could mean a lot of stuff, whole wheat. I don't know. I mean, we don't know what it means. So what usually scholars do is they break the word apart and say, well, it kind of has this epi being above kind of sense to it. 
So they started thinking about maybe like more like necessary. Like it's unnecessary. Stuff you need. Daily, you need it daily. So necessary bread. Think of it that way. But here's the thing. Don't know what necessary means. How do you know what bread means? If you can't eat it, you still know what it means, right? It's not the protein-style burger at In-N-Out. It's like the actual bun, okay? But when Jesus talks about bread, is he always talking about bread? Not really. In fact, before this, in Matthew 4, Jesus is led onto the desert to be tempted by Satan. So for 40 days, 40 nights, doesn't eat anything. And guess what? The Bible says he's hungry. Imagine that. So he's hungry, and Satan shows up and says, hey, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Jesus says this in Matthew 4.4. 4, One does not live by bread alone, <clears throat> but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. More than bread. In John 6, he's talking to his disciples. He says this, For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sound familiar? This bread comes down from heaven and gives life to all of us. John 5, 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes me will never be thirsty. Different kind of bread, right? He's the bread. And then finally, we come here. We have communion together. Jesus has been betrayed and denied the Last Supper. Look what he says there. He says, while they're eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread. After blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. What if this is the bread Jesus is talking about? This is the bread of the prayer. Because think about it for a minute. Let's kind of put it together. We start off looking at God's holiness. God, you're holy, you're righteous. We want you to bring that kingdom here. We want to do your will today on earth as it's being done in heaven. And how does that happen? We can't do it by ourselves, right? I can't do it. You can't do it. We can't do it. So he sends Jesus, the bread of life, to give his life, be broken for us so that we can be forgiven and can then forgive others. Who will be with us, he says, to the end of the age to help us in terms of trial and temptation and is the only one who can overcome evil. See, Jesus is the center of the prayer. And this prayer is really a story. Pray then this way. Pray and live this story between you and Jesus, and those around you. That's what the story is. It's our story. Now, that's great, but let's say you go and you leave today, and you go out and you see the back of the sign, and you're like, okay, I've got it. I've got Jesus with me. Got this. Come back next week. What, what's that, what, what are you going to see? That one. You're like, needed that one again. That's okay. That's okay. Here's why. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Remember that? Garden of Eden? Perfect. It was awesome. Like it was, it literally was just perfect. And then what happens? Evil happens. Satan slithers in, and what does he do? He tempts Adam and Eve, the first two humans. Because they're tempted, they eat, they sin, and therefore they need to be forgiven and to forgive each other. How does that happen? How do we get forgiven? Jesus comes, gives his life so we can be forgiven. And therefore, God's people can now do his will on earth as it is in heaven. And when we do his will, guess what comes? His kingdom comes because we're living it. And when we do that, his kingdom's here through us, we make his name holy to the world.
See, this is, is a story. It's more than a prayer. It's who we are and how God sees us and how we live together. And that, in turn, helps us see the world differently. We don't see a different world when we leave here. We just see it differently because of this story that we call the Lord's Prayer. Several years ago, my daughter, who is now in her mid-20s, was like that tall. So how old is that? Five, six, something like that? So about this big, we went to a baseball game in Atlanta to see the Braves. And we're there, and it's you know, fun, and the lights, and popcorn, and all that kind of stuff. We're going back to our car, and we're walking along, and I'm holding her hand, you know, we're talking about the game, it's all cool. And there's this guy with a wheelchair up ahead of us. He's sitting there, he's got a cup, he's rattling his cup, and he's got a sign. And the sign says, on the front side, it says, need money for a new wheelchair. Okay, so I'm holding her hand in this hand. I go in my pocket, you know, and I get a couple bucks out, you know, from the game, and I'm walking along, and I see the cup, and I just kind of dump it in and just keep on going. Well, about 30 seconds later, I get a tug on my arm. These two big blue eyes look up at me and say, Daddy, what was his name? I saw the sign. I didn't see the person. She saw the person behind the sign. There's a lot of signs out there, folks. A lot of signs. And our story, the story of Jesus, helps us to see behind the sign, to see the people that we can impact with the kingdom of God. We can bring his kingdom here to look beyond the signs that are obvious to that which is important. Let's pray together, please. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are holy and set apart and righteous. And we pray, God, in this crazy world that your kingdom does indeed come, that your will is done by us, just like it's being done in heaven. We thank you for Jesus, who makes all that possible, who makes possible the forgiveness of our sins and our ability to forgive others as well, who stands with us in terms of trial and temptation, continue to be with us through your spirit. And we thank you that you have power over evil and that we can align ourselves and trust in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.